Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on the show today is Wilfred McClay. Bill is the Victor Davis Hanson Chair in Classical History and Western Civilization at Hillsdale College. He's the author of several books, including Land of Hope, An Invitation to the Great American Story, and an accompanying Young Reader's Edition. Uh, he's written several essays for City Journal over the years, and his work appears frequently in both scholarly and popular publications, including the Wilson Quarterly, the Wall Street Journal, National Review, First Things, and, and m- many, many other uh, publications. Uh, today, we're going to discuss America's national identity and our connection to the past. So, Bill, great to talk with you, and thanks for coming on 10 Blocks. Thank you, Brian. It's really, it's an honor. Uh, I'm a great admirer of City Journal and all that it's done, and uh, this is just an extension of its uh, its wonderful mission. Well, well, thank you, Bill. So you published uh, Land of Hope, which I encourage readers to to pick up. It's, it's really a terrific history. Uh, that was right before the pandemic, I think, so 2019. So it's it's been out there out there for a few years now. Um, it's it's viewed by many, uh, especially those who are not on the left, as a kind of corrective history to Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. But it also seems clear that you you've had other broader motivations for writing it, from the need for a readable narrative history for students. Uh, to a desire, which I think is very important, to reinstill, reinstill, recreate a kind of civic connection between readers and the nation's history. So I, I wonder, you know, tell tell our listeners a bit about how you came to write um, Land of Hope and what approaches guided you in doing so. Yeah, well, I, I it wasn't something I particularly wanted to do, <laughs> that, because as anybody who has, uh, who's listening to this, who has a uh, experience with academic life, uh, writing a textbook is generally a, a, a road to being disesteemed by one's colleagues and and not taken seriously and and uh, and and not taken seriously by the dean and others who uh, who control your salary and <laughs> various other forms of recognition. So so uh, I, I had to have a much have a pretty strong motivation to do it, and I did. Um, I I won't go through all the details, but in around well 2014, maybe a, one defining moment for me was that I saw all the ways that um, K twelve education was being you know corrupted, including by Howard Zinn, um, whom by the way I I don't know of a single reputable historian that has ever denied that Howard Zinn is bad history. But they haven't felt moved to really do anything about it, <laughs> uh, uh, and it's used in, in 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 thousands of schools all over the country. Anyway, uh, uh, it really was when the College Board, the organization that um, administers advanced placement examinations, uh, all of them, by the way, a, a monopoly that need not be. Um, uh, they began to change the a- AP test for U.S. history in ways that a lot of us found alarming. A group of us got together and, uh, I mean, they did things like really de-emphasizing the founders, the founding, the Constitution, the debates over ratification of the Constitution, constitutional issues, um, uh, and uh, even to the point of 
omitting mention of George Washington and James Madison in the the, the sort of guidance materials that they supplied. It just it was a uh, kind of an appalling thing, and and so a number of us, and I think we ended up <clears throat> having about two hundred signatures. We wrote an open letter to the college board pleading with them not to make these changes. Uh, and, um, and and the, the thing got a lot of publicity. And, and eventually the college board backed down or seemed to back down, um, although they never acknowledged our letter. Um, but they didn't do anything to change the ways that the textbooks had been altered in anticipation of these new standards. And the AP test it has been until recently kind of the gold standard for assessment of historical knowledge. You know, it's the one you people don't trust uh, grades because they're inflated. They, they don't, they don't trust a lot of other standardized measures, but the, the AP test has been until recently um, regarded as a kind of gold standard. So this was, this was messing around with, with the currency, so to speak. And, uh, so uh, uh, a number of people came away from this saying, people smarter than me, more savvy than me, saying, well, this is just a stopgap. And really the, um, the indications are from the textbooks that this will go forward as soon as the hubbub dies down. Um, and we need a, what we need is a new textbook. And uh, I, I, uh, my response always was when this came up that, uh, you know, uh, fine, I hope you find somebody to do it. <laughs> I did not want to be the one to do it. Um, but finally, uh, I was talked into it. Uh, and uh, um, and I published it with Encounter Books. You know, Roger Kimball was the person who talked me into it. And, uh, um, and it was one of the most uh, pleasant experiences I've ever had with the publisher. They, they, um, they let they left me alone. They they didn't. So so the strengths and weaknesses of the book are ones that I can legitimately claim and cannot legitimately run away from. And they it was really my my product. Um, it reflects uh, the the work of an individual human being. This is not. It doesn't present itself as a sort of God's eye view, but it does try to be much more uh, neutral, more generous to contending sides in our various national debates and dramas. So, um, so that was, that's part of the answer to your question. I wanted a, a more, a more generous history, uh, that one that took into account, um, you know, human frailty that, that, um, the, as, as, as the Bible says, the measure you give is the measure you will receive. And that, um, if we would like to be treated well <laughs> by the future, we ought to do a better job of t- treating the past in a fair and generous way. For sure. Uh, you, the book, um, you know, Bill has received uh, at least, uh, in, you know, I've noticed a number of, of pretty good reviews of it. Um, I wonder, um, you know, how it's fared as a textbook. Have, have any schools picked it up? Has it been adopted by homeschoolers? Um, you know, are you getting any feedback from teachers, students, parents? Oh, you know, I'm inundated with feedback. You know, I, there are times when I wish I could just walk away from it all because uh, I'm just one person. But uh, 
I also, it's very gratifying. People uh, like the book. They want, they want me to do more. They want me to do things to set up networks of uh, where parents can uh, sort of, especially homeschoolers. The homeschoolers have loved the book, but they're not the only ones. We've done well in independent schools, charters. Uh, we have not really been able to crack the sort of mainline public schools. Even in red states, it's been very difficult. Uh, so, um, so the the answer to to your question is that we're 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 making progress, but it's a long haul, and it's very um, it's very labor intensive. You know, you you, you uh, the educational market is um, is uh, is a whole different thing from trade books, and and you have to you have to make contact with a lot of people. Um, and I think it's going to, you know, it may, maybe not in my lifetime will I see a book, my book or a book like mine uh, uh, be adopted in public schools. But I'm trying. I'm doing my best. And I will, um, you know, I will appear at places where I'm asked to speak uh, uh, and try to do what I can to make the case for for the book and the approach the book takes. Because I think... Uh, and this may lead into one of your other questions, but I think that, that we're not doing well by our young people in giving them a heritage that they can draw upon and giving them a, a civic knowledge that is involved in really being a citizen of this country in, in any meaningful way. Well, you, you gave a, uh, a speech when you received the Bradley Prize in 2022 uh, called "Can We Become a Serious Country Again?" and and there, you know, you offered a series of questions exploring that theme. Would a serious country have run up a national debt of more than thirty trillion dollars? Uh, but you closed with with this particular one. Would a serious? And this is me quoting you. Uh, would a serious country so completely lose perspective on its own past that it would entertain the idea that the nation was founded on slavery? rather than on the ideals that have made it a beacon to the rest of the world? And would a serious country think it appropriate to teach its children that the nation's past is best understood as a parade of horrors to which the most appropriate response is not pride, but lacerating shame? So, you know, four years on from the publication of Land of Hope and three years on from the horrible riots and statue toppling of 2020, um, you know, what, what is your sense of where America stands on these things right now? Well, we're not in good shape at all. And of course, uh, we, we uh, uh, I, I, in some ways, just it, we're, we're, we're entering into a great national drama now with the uh, um, having our two leading presidential candidates both being um, uh, under, under the microscope for their moral failings and and uh, and possibly illegal acts, uh, possibly treasonous acts, uh, you know, so that, that's, that's not a great thing to, to rally civic pride around for young people who tend to be, uh, uh, very quick to judge. Uh, but I, I think another indication that may be more telling than the passing parade of politics is, is, um, the national, uh, uh Oh, I can never remember the, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, NAEP, N-A-E-P. Uh, that their that their assessments are 
colloquially known as the nation's report card. And we had some really devastating news earlier this year, just a, just a month or so ago, that the NAEB scores in history continue to drop. Uh, and for the first time, they have dropped in civics. So um, we're continuing to do a terrible job teaching history to young people. And uh, uh, the, the uh, in civics is now registering with, with in, in, in a negative category. So, you know, that, that's a, that's a real sign. It, it, it's, it's kind of an unimpeachable sign, if I could use that term, that we're, um, that we're failing and we're failing at an increasing rate. Um, what we've been doing isn't working. So, um, so I, I think it's, it's, it's very clear that we've got to return to something uh, much more uh, <laughs> creedal, you might say, in, uh, the, 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 to the idea that what we're doing and teaching young people, I'm not talking about college here, I'm talking about high schools and, and middle schools and even primary schools, that we're, we're, it's a process of initiating them into American life, initiating them into the, the rights and responsibilities of citizenship. Um, that that's, and, and we're not um, called upon to deliver sermons about uh, the national past, particularly sort of half-baked ones like the 1619 Project. Uh, um, what we want is for young people to, have to know, to understand, to have the tools, and yes, to realize that they live in a, in a, in a society that has an extraordinarily worthy heritage, um, that they, of which they are the inheritors and of which they will be, for which they will be responsible in the coming generations to, to make good on the nation's promises. So I think it should be um, an inspirational, challenging, but substantive um, exercise. One of the things I'm very concerned about with civics is the growth of what's variously called well, action civics is probably the best term. And that is that um, the best way to teach young people about civics is to have them be politically active and they'll learn in the process of that. You know, that's, that doesn't, it's not completely implausible, um, largely implausible, but not completely because we do learn some things by doing. And I think one of the greatest um experiences of citizenship that any of us will ever have is the, the experience of serving on a jury, which is something that, yes, you get a lot of instruction from the judge and so on. But in the end, you learn by doing. You learn by the, the process of, uh, of going through a, a trial, a civil or criminal trial, and uh, learning how, uh, how the advocates for the different sides operate, how to assess what they do. And uh, it's, it's still a remarkably good system because people are capable of the activity of self-rule if you give them uh, the opportunity to exercise it and, and the knowledge and experience involved in exercising it. But you can't just call it civic education to turn um, nine-year-old kids out in the streets protesting against, against climate change 
um, all they're be, being is, is cheap troops for a political movement that has already told them what to think. Um, that's the opposite of what we want to do. So I don't, um, I'm not particularly enthused about approaches to civics that, uh, that, that, that teach the conflicts, that sort of uh, teach that all points of view about the meaning of our national life are equally worthy of attention. Uh, I you have some friends I have strongly disagree with about this. That I think I don't think that's the way. I think that's what we've been doing uh, to a large extent, and it hasn't succeeded. Well, it's it's um, you're, you're an intellectual historian. Um, you know how do you explain the the appeal of you know, what you're describing? Uh, this kind of iconoclasm that encourages young people to reject or hate their forebears, their history, um, their, their heritage. You know, what, why does negation at least seem to have the upper hand in so many of our cultural debates these days? Well, that's a really interesting question, you know, and, and what is it, is there a kind of, uh, you know, almost civilizational self-hatred that the West has to deal with periodically? I mean, we are, one of the things we pride ourselves in, rightly, is uh, that we're we 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 are self-critical. That our pride, um, of course, pride is a double-edged word in the in, in any society that has a Christian tradition at its core. But our our justifiable, let me <laughs> a better word than pride may, may be sort of um, gratitude for the the institutions that we have. But a willingness to subject them and our customs, our practices to to criticism, this is a, this is an important feature of what the West is. I mean, the West is is, is Athens and Jerusalem both. Uh, it's 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 uh, it has both of these things in tension with one another. That's a hard thing for young people to understand, and. Um, I I would say you know there are a lot of teachers I've I've done I've worked a lot with teachers I, I uh, spent uh, eight years at on the faculty of the University of Oklahoma running a summer institute uh, every summer with teachers and and uh, you know we came I, I became convinced that the most of them uh, even the ones who really thought teaching a sort of critical approach uh, was the sort of healthiest way to to emphasize the tradition of dissent and so on and so forth. They, I think the real problem is that they don't realize the cumulative effect of this. They don't realize um, what kids take away from a steady diet of that in the classroom, in popular culture, in the movies, you name it, uh, at least in new movies, older movies, you get um, a different view. Um but it is, I, I don't think uh, anybody on sort of my side of things would say, I know I, I, know I wouldn't say it myself, that we should promote uh, un, an uncritical, jingoistic, um, uh, my country right or wrong sort of view of the American past. Um, not at all. Not at all. And, uh, uh, and there are those who feel that we did that too much in the past. I actually think that argument is exaggerated. That would take a while to explain. But I think when I go back and look at textbooks from 
even the 1920s, they're very critical. They're very and and they don't ignore the issue of slavery. It's just that's that seems that's the most preposterous uh, argument that somehow we haven't paid any attention to slavery until the New York Times came along and 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 inf- informed us about it. Um, there's always been that self-critical element in our understanding of the past, but it may be that in the wake of the the, the Second World War that there was a kind of surge of uh, of an uncritical uh, view of the nation's past. I I I think that's exaggerated, but what I what I will say is that we've come to a point where the overwhelmingly critical tenor of historical scholarship and the teaching that flows from it that has been pretty much the norm since let's say 1970 yeah just just, just to, to establish a date that's a long time that's a long time to have have that critical tenor be in the driver's seat um, it's time for us to have a reassessment of that and 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 take some of the criticism uh, to heart, but also place it in a larger context with a larger perspective on just what this country has been for the bulk of its history, what it's represented to the world, uh, the ideals that it's espoused and continued to espouse even when we uh, have not lived up to them. Um, th- this is uh, this is, I think, the task that b- the before us now is to to try not to move the pendulum back exactly to what it was, um, but to incorporate what's been valuable about the uh, and value. And, and I, I would add to that 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 it is true that the history books that I grew up with um, were. Um, they, they were very critical of slavery. They had very little to say about the actual experience of slavery, the texture of slave life in detail. There were things like Frederick Douglass's narratives and uh, you know that, that sort of thing was, was, was around. And I think I read Frederick Douglass in, in high school. But, but no, there's a lot of scholarship, some of which done brilliant stuff. Eugene Genovese, Lawrence Levine, and... and um, uh, people like that. Actually, I'm talking about another generation of historians, but um, that have really illuminated what life was like for those who were, um, as we say now, marginalized uh, in the culture. And that's good. That's good. I think, on the other hand, um, there's a certain bare minimum of what people need to learn to be citizens. And I, I, the, I think learning about the Constitution, learning why we have the kind of Constitution we have, it's not just an arbitrary thing. It's something you can understand perfectly well when you look at the Constitution as it arose out of the experience, not just of England, but of all of Europe, uh, that it was, a, it was an alternative uh, to the absolutism on the continent uh, in England, and then in, in, in more fully realized in America, um, so we can understand that there's a problem with the concentration of power. That's what our constitution is really um, directed against, uh, and uh, we 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 need to understand these things. We need to understand why things are set up the way they are, 
It's not just arbitrary. It's not easily found to be obsolete, you know, without having a sense of what and what it stood against and and what you would put in its place. Um, you know, uh, socialism doesn't have a ter- terrific record <laughs> when you actually look at the historical record. So uh, uh, all of these things need to be need to be addressed. Uh, and I I. I, I I'm not against uh, the uh, the social history that's been so predominant for the last fifty years in scholarship and more and more in teaching. But I think the political history, the basic fundamentals, and certainly for civics, I mean civics has to do with citizenship. It doesn't have to do with uh, understanding the, the sort of life situation of all sorts of different people in your society. It has to do with thinking through what are our rights and responsibilities as citizens in which we have, or we should have fundamental equality. Well, Bill, um, you know, a, a final question. We're, we're going to be looking at July 4th very soon, Independence Day. Uh, I wonder how you plan to spend it, how you normally spend it? Um, well, you know, I, actually, in this, this particular 4th of July, I, I'll be, <laughs> I hate to say this, I'll be out of the country. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, my wife and I are celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary. And so we decided to go to Quebec City. Um, uh, although maybe while we're there, we'll rub the, their, their, their noses in in you know the your defeat of the French and Indian War. I, I, I may do a little of that, <laughs> but so I will be in in French Canada on the fourth of July. But but no, I normally we have. Uh, I, I mean, a very we, I'm living now in a very small town in uh, in Michigan, and uh, they, I've only been here two years. Uh, but they they uh, they have the most wonderful parade. And everyone turns out for it, and uh, it's it's small town Americana at its best, and so that's where I would be if I weren't traipsing around in a foreign country. Uh, uh, but can I say something that's related to your question? That um, I'm I'm serving on the what's called the semi-quincentennial commission, which is actually the group that's supposed to plan the national celebration of our 250th anniversary as a country, uh, you know, 250 years after 1776, 2026. Um, so it's coming up. And, and uh, I have to tell you that it's been a very frustrating experience. I think everybody involved is frustrated. It's very hard right now to get people to come around to sort of unifying themes. Um and uh, it, it's I'm I'm not confident that we will. I think, uh, but you know, the example of the past. We've had periods uh, in the past. I don't know they, how many of them have been as bad as the current acrimony. But um, we've had periods in the, in the past where, one way or another, we have come together. Of course, we we had one time we fought a civil war. We didn't come together, but uh, so there's that example too. But uh, it's it's serving on this commission, which has had a very hard time getting going. Um, is it's a very sober has been very sobering for me that that this is not going to be automatic. And uh, I'll just give you an example. We we spent 
uh, a long period of time and, and never resolved the issue as to whether we would call this a celebration or a commemoration or an observation or a more neutral term. Um, nobody suggested a wake, but uh, it might have been in some people's minds. That gives you a sense on this commission of the, the breadth, uh, uh, the range of different points of view that we're, uh, we're dealing with and uh, uh, the lack of consensus about and I, I will say, I, I uh, came on the commission just around the time Land of Hope was being published. And so I showed up at a commission meeting and um, with a box of copies of the book. And I gave one to everybody on the commission, which set me back a bit. You know, it was about 30 people um, on my own dime. But I, I was glad to do it. And people were ooing and aahing as it was handed out. And, I, and the director at the time said you know, I'd like you to make a few remarks. And I saw my opportunity. So I, I got and talked about the book a little bit. And and then I said, look, if, if this this is either a celebration, what we're doing, or nothing, you know, I, <laughs> we, it, is, it is impossible for me to imagine uh, what, it, what it could be meaning, how it could be meaningful to the American people if um, those of us, we're in a position to sort of lead are so sound such an uncertain trumpet about who we are and what we are. Um, and then that's there. I think we need to pull back. We need to pull back from our petty passing concerns and take, look at the larger picture, the extraordinary um, uh, moment in human history, 1776 represented uh and that we've we've carried that on and we've carried that out and we it's up to us to continue to well i i really appreciate you coming on well it's my pleasure more more, more power to your efforts honestly yes well I, I you know i've got a lot of uh help and but one thing the, the audience should know is that that i i was very pleased that my speech um that you you cited earlier was published in city journal <laughs> so uh so i was very happy to have that there and uh um uh, in city journal city journal wow i mean we could we could spend a week talking about all the things that you guys have done well th thank you very much bill and uh looking forward to getting you back uh in in city journal soon um let's you know please check out uh, bill mcclay's work on the city journal website that's at www.city-journal.org. We'll link to his author page in the description. Uh, he's been talking about his book, Land of Hope, An Invitation to the Great American Story, uh, which also comes in an accompanying uh, Young Readers edition, as I had mentioned. Uh, you can find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. Um, and as I usually say, if you like what you've heard on today's podcast, please give us a nice rating on iTunes. Uh, Bill, Bill McClay, thank you again very, very much. Thanks a lot, Brian, and all the best to everyone there. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.